Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Subscriptions for Authors podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how the main character of your book can get a million followers, like how they can become famous. might not make a lot of sense, but this is because there's something new happening in the creator world. You might not know this, but on some social platforms, there are virtual creators with millions of followers. By virtual creators, I mean either digital images or sometimes like full digital personas that can move and talk that are overlaid onto videos that it's basically an animated character it's not a real person on camera but it's a real person that's obviously behind this person dictating a story that's being able to create this experience that people are in. a lot of these characters have millions of followers on social media code miko is an example of one there's dozens and dozens of them coming at it from japan it's actually a trend that started there what's funny is that a lot of big trends in books come from other countries. ZRPG is a big example of really gaining steam in Russia first before it came to the United States. And serial fiction in itself, especially like web serials, gained traction in East Asia before the United States. And that's why we see the rise of platforms like Radish. The founder of Radish actually is from South Korea. So all the history is just to say that there's this emerging trend happening. It's something new. It's yet to be seen how mainstream this will become in the United States. But today, we're talking about this and how we as authors can potentially capitalize on this and make the main characters of our stories famous, which is really, really cool. But we're not just talking about that today. We'll also be diving into subscriptions, running a bookstore on bikes. Yeah, as always, tons of interesting ideas about the future of publishing here. And we have an amazing guest with us to talk about it all in Authors Unite. I'll let her do the talking to introduce herself, and we'll get into the podcast right now. Hello Z, me and Amelia are so excited to be with you here today. And for everyone who's listening, who might not be aware of who you are, I want you to just talk a little bit about your author business and what got you into writing books. Hello everyone. And again, thank you so much, Michael and Amelia for inviting me. This is really exciting. So what got me into being a writer is stereotypical, but like most writers, I was writing since I was really young. I was an avid reader too. And I was really interested in the process of book publishing. I wanted to know like every facet of it. So before I actually published my own book, I was involved in freelance writing in general. I worked on tabletop games. I worked on a bunch of indie games. But from there, I decided to launch a publishing company called Aurelia Leo. It, it was renamed at, uh, over the years, which is roughly Golden Lion. I was trying to do Golden Lion books, but you know, every English name is taken in the universe at this point when it comes to the internet. <laughs> so I went with Aurelia Leo and I started publishing sci-fi fantasy authors. And so I got involved with the whole process and knowledge of how the book industry works. How do you take a manuscript and turn it into a physical book, an ebook, an audio book, etc.? And from there, I got comfortable enough to say, hey, I want to try this out. You know, I write primarily in the speculative genre, but in romance. So I write sci-fi, fantasy, romance, etc. And I branched out over the years, too. So, you know, I put out my first novella, which was an alien romance. Learn very quickly when you're publishing yourself. It's a little bit of a different process. You know, you have to do this thing called write the book, which was different for me. And so from there, you know, I kind of took a break and then I restarted in 2020 and I really got down to business and was like, okay, I really want to do this author thing. I've been an editor, I've been a publisher, but I really wanted to do this author thing. So long roundabout 
roundabout way of saying that I was involved in the book industry. And then I was like, hey, I can do this. And then I realized it's a lot more to this <laughs> when you're not just the one receiving manuscripts or short stories, but it's just it's exciting. And I'm really happy to be here in 2022 and still publishing. You're definitely not only still publishing, but doing tons of really interesting things. It seems like you're the kind of person that really likes to experiment and has a ton of ideas and is always playing around with different things. I want you to dive more into all of this, but just give everyone a brief intro of some of the things that you're doing. You on Twitch have experimented with being a B streamer, which that's a huge conversation. I'd love to just hear some of your insights on that and what you may have learned through your research process as you're beginning to get into that. And then you also are restarting your subscription, which I think is another really interesting topic. You have a mobile bookstore called Pride Book Cafe, which is amazing. And there's so much to talk about there. And it seems like you've been involved as not just an editor and producer in, in books, but also games, tons of different media. So again, that's just like wild. And I don't know where you want to begin, but I think it would be really interesting to hear a little bit about just subscriptions to start with. And then we can get into the rest of the Z universe. So subscriptions, yeah. Back in, oh my goodness, I'm trying to think. It was either 2016 or 17, I heard about Patreon. And Patreon was really, really popular in the game space already. A lot of people would put out demos and then people would subscribe. And as you subscribe, you would get... Well, I guess in regular world would be like DLC, downloadable content, but they were really building their games off of Patreon. And so I was like, that's a very interesting concept. And originally I got on Patreon to do just that, to work on indie games and do that. And, you know, I didn't build up a huge audience. You know, my family supported me and a couple other people that were interested in my stuff. But I had built up an audience and it was really, really interesting to just do that process. But then after a while, I kind of moved away from the game world for no dramatic reason. I just, as you said, I like to experiment. I love to try stuff and see if it works, see if I love it and go with it. And so at that time, I was moving closer to publishing and getting more to that. And so then when I went back right after a while, past them changing their subscription fees and all that other stuff that was going on, I realized a lot of authors were on Patreon. And I thought that was such a, at the time, strange concept. Because I was like, are you writing a chapter? Like, is it like serialized fiction or something like that? And I found out a lot of it is like that. You basically took sites like Radish and other places. Amazon now has Kindle Vela. And you basically uploaded a chapter, you know, it hit a schedule or sometimes books that hit a schedule. And so I was like, that's such an interesting concept. And as I was building up my writing, I was like, yeah, I want to try that out. So one thing I learned very quickly, serializing fiction is a different beast altogether than doing things in the game world because people are a little bit more patient. You don't expect the whole chapter plus art plus music, you know, done in a week. But what I was finding was people were putting out like chapters every week or sometimes even more frequently. And I was like, oh, that's um different. <laughs> you know, that's a different process. I'm kind of a slow-ish writer. And so I was like, hmm. And so I started doing a lot of research, especially in a romance space. What were people doing? What was making them subscribe or get subscribers in the hundreds that were really interested in getting paying ahead of time or paying piecemeal for fiction? I did a lot of research. I looked up Amelia's um, Patreon and then I joined your awesome Facebook group and I've been learning a lot ever since then. I guess it's a good time to mention that we do have a Facebook group for those who might not be already in it. It's called Scriptions for Authors. It's completely free and it's a space where we share our insights, not just 
Amelia, but also all the authors in there. Of course, Amelia is quite active. And then we also have a newsletter that you can subscribe to each week. We give some weekly insights. The one that went out today actually was about subscription mindset, which you wrote, Amelia. I really love how you came from the game world because I'm like, my husband is in into games and he's making like a video game right now. And he has actually done, or he at least started doing a subscription based like crowdfunding thing. And it was going really well. But yeah, I think that's so interesting. And we recorded a podcast last night with him, actually. And we were just talking about how authors can take so much from looking at like other industries, like the gaming industry, especially. Love when the universe works out like that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Everything's a small world. I especially think just having a creative storytelling mind lends itself to being able to do so many interesting things. And I'm curious from your days being a publisher, what insights did you have, and especially into the business of this all, that you are now taking as you're launching now three pen names and growing your own readership? Yeah, so one of the things I learned very quickly in the publishing world, and this is true of any industry, it is not set up for people outside of the mainstream, right? People that are traditionally published, vastly more resources <laughs> available to them. And not even just in the sense of just cohort cash, you know, bigger publishers have more money and budget for things. They just have a lot more Ability, for example, in the book publishing world, which is different than any industry on the planet I'm aware of, when you sell books, you're not really selling them, right? They're not final sales. Really, you basically loan your book to a bookstore, and if it sells, you get paid. And if they can't sell it, they can return it to you, right? And, and so this is something that actually came around in my research in the era of the Great Depression to basically give people in the book world a sense of, you know, like, you're not going to be stuck with a bunch of stock that you can't move. And it has never gone away. And so this small insight really got me thinking about it and my own author career, especially being in romance, which is a bigger genre, has sky high potential for making money. But at the same time, you're competing with a lot more people. Mm -hmm. Is that I was like, I'm not going to pursue a strategy of trying to get into bookstores. I had to be realistic in the sense that until I could build up an audience to make that work, I'm not going to have drove of people going to Barnes and Noble, picking my books off the shelf, right? If I can get mm -hmm. into Noble in the first place. So it really had me pivot and say, I really want to focus on the digital side of things. I want to focus on audiobooks, serial fiction, things that I have a lot more control of versus in the print world, it's a very different beat. So that's one insight from being a publisher, I realized pretty quickly. A more positive insight I realized is that there's a lot of people looking for fiction that the traditional world is just not publishing, right? You know, they are just behind the curve in a lot of things. They see something get successful in the indie world and then they either snatch up that author and, you know, publish it in their world. Or they start saying, vampires aren't dead anymore. We're going to start publishing vampire fiction. Well, while traditional publishing wasn't publishing that, all the indies were doing it, right? Because you had that gap that needed to be filled that wasn't coming out. They're saying, you know, after Twilight, vampires are dead. They weren't dead. They just weren't getting published by bigger name presses. So the positive thing I saw was that a lot of my weird experimental things, they had an audience. It wasn't 
a big enough audience that I think I could have taken it to a bigger publisher or even published it in a, a different way than I'm currently doing. But I was like, you know, there's people that want my cyborg romance on dystopian, you know, on a faraway planet. You know, they're not going to get that if they pick up a Harlequin novel, for example. I think that's beautiful. You know, one of the biggest things I think the internet made possible and still is making possible is that like every niche is a thousand times bigger than you could possibly imagine. Like in my hometown, maybe you have a few people who are interested in reading those kinds of books. So the local bookstore, they're probably not going to carry it because what are the odds that they walk in on a given day? It, it might be quite low, but on the internet, it's like, oh, if one person in every town wants to read that kind of book, all of a sudden you now have a ton of readers, a ton. So I'm really curious about your actual like mobile bookstore because you focus on diverse titles there. And I think that's really great. It's called Pride Book Cafe. I'll leave a link down in the description for everyone who's listening and wants to check it out. And I'm just curious, what made you start that? Because that's such an interesting thing. And break down what it even is for people who might be listening and going, is a mobile bookstore. Yeah, so another great Facebook group on top of subscriptions for authors is called Non-Traditional Booksellers. And basically, I was doing e-commerce already. So I had a publishing business. I had other stuff. And so I was doing e-commerce. And Pride really came about because I was like, I would really like to take this concept in person. Like, it would be, you know, local events going on for Black History Month or local events going on that was just um, farmer's markets. And I really wanted to take more than my work there that I published from others or from myself. And so I was really, like, thinking, like, how could I make this concept? I knew I didn't want, like, a brick-and-mortar bookstore. That, even though I love to put my hands in a lot of pots, that was a little too much, you know, <laughs> on top of everything else. So I was like, can you book sell in a different way? A lot of people go to conventions, like the convention circuit is really, really popular. And I had seen sci-fi and fantasy bookstores at conventions. So they would haul, like, 200 books with them and come to a local convention and sell there. So I looked at that concept, and that wasn't really possible because of the thing we shall not name that a lot of those conventions had gotten shut down. So I was like, how can I do that? But like in my local community. And so I came across, first I joined the American Booksellers Association and I came across non-traditional booksellers. And basically they were saying, I took a concept like you would do with any bookstores. Mine's would be a niche concept, diverse book specifically, and basically made a business around it and started selling at these events. You would buy a table and brand yourself. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That's not really much different than e-commerce. I basically say, hey, I have physical books. And if you don't want to buy here, go to my website, I'll ship it to you. And so that's really how Pride came about. I was looking around how to store all those books because I have an SUV, but nothing big enough to hold that many books at a time, plus my dog, plus myself. And so I was looking around and I found there is a lot of people that you might see a street taco vendor or something. You basically have these mobile bookstores, basically. It's icicle tricycles. Mine came from Furla Bikes. That's where I got my mobile book bookstore. And basically, there are companies that specialize in motorized and non-motor uh, tricycle businesses. And so a lot of them, you know, they do food vendors. So like they do hot dog sellers and stuff like that. But a lot of them saw that people wanted to sell books. Local libraries were like, hey, we want to go out and, you know, promote our library. And so they made these specialized bikes. And so I knew I didn't have that much money. So I launched a Kickstarter and said, hey, you know, anyone's down for this concept, was able to raise the money. And 
got my little proper cafe. So I can't obviously show a picture on a podcast, but I'm going to be doing much more vending starting next year because I moved state. So you have to, you know, certain local laws and stuff. I can't just go out there and, you know, start selling. By 2023, I'll be out and about much more. You made a really good point, Michael. It's like a lot of people don't think outside the bike, about bike, think outside the box. And so for me, I was like, well, if people can sell tacos, you can sell books mobily. It, it can work. And people have been doing it. So it's not like I came up with the concept. I went online. I was like, oh, people had this concept already. And I just kind of followed in their footsteps. Stop. I love that so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't I didn't know that's what it was. Yeah. When I heard mobile bookstore, I was like, oh, just like a, maybe like on your phone. But oh, my God, that's so cute. I love it. That is amazing. I, in my like hometown, had a bookstore that would go around in a bus. And it was really interesting. And that, along with kind of seeing a few other things online, inspired me actually to buy a mini school bus. For those who are watching the YouTube version, I will post a picture that you will see right now on the video. And I, yeah, me and my buddy in college spent like, was that crazy amount of money? It was like maybe $5,000 for an old bus. So it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't a ton. And I did have an ambition to sell books out of there. Unfortunately, bus broke down. We did drive maybe around a couple thousand miles in it, but it was, didn't end up being the vision that we had for it. But I've always had that dream. And to hear that you're doing that right now, literally riding around on books, what, for, for authors especially, a lot of times I have a friend who's spoken on this podcast, good friends with Amelia as well. Her name's Susie Webster. And a lot of her romance books are set in Charleston, which is my hometown. And I just imagine her, like, if she had a cute mobile bookstore like this, Stop. she would be able to find readers. If you're listening, Susie, you have to do this. So obviously, <laughs> you've set this up and funded this and using a really interesting, not a novel method, but something that is becoming more and more prominent in the author world. This is Michael from the future here coming in with an idea that I had to share because when talking about Susie going around Charleston, which is where I live, potentially selling her romance novels like out of the back of the car, there was like this image garnered in my mind of like the beginning of self-publishing decades ago and even like a century ago when there wasn't ways to distribute online. If you wanted to self-publish your book, you had to also figure out how to sell it and distribute it yourself too. And I started thinking, it sounds ridiculous to do that today, to promote our own books as an author. It sounds like ludicrous. But then Spotify has this thing called Trigger Cities. There's been a lot of studies done on how the Spotify algorithm can pick up certain songs. And there's actual, like, literally certain cities in which it's more cost-effective to promote your song into. And if you can get it to start get action in those cities, it's likely to spread globally. I'll link down in the description what those cities are. Some of them are, like, Bangkok, Mexico City, not like a New York or a Paris, even though these are global cities. Those are like the most cost effective to actually promote your music in. And it got me thinking about like as authors, what are like trigger cities for books in certain genres? Like maybe for Susie's books being set in Charleston, that could be like a trigger city for her. If she can get her book selling in Charleston, they might not only sell well there, but spread beyond that. But then for other authors and other things that we write, it just got me really curious of like, has there ever been trigger cities done in the publishing industry? I couldn't find a study done on that, but it got me thinking. I think we know our readers best, but man, if, if you know a spot where your readers would likely be hanging out that you could go and sell your books in, it could actually really help speed up your career, even though it's such an old way of book selling, right? It seems so like 
almost uh, retro, but I think that's the point, that old tactics can still really work. Anyways, back to the main conversation now. And I'm curious what you learned during your Kickstarter. How did you get this to fund successfully? Yeah, so Kickstarter is a beast. It's a beast. I actually have a couple that I need to be fulfilling very soon too. And it's just been difficult with everything going on. My first Kickstarter, it actually failed, right? It was not a successful one. And it really gave me a lot of knowledge what makes a Kickstarter successful. And for me, what I learned, because I do see a lot more authors are funding like hardcover editions, special editions, things like that, audiobooks on Kickstarter. The one thing I would say is really strip down your budget to the bare middle. In my ideal world, my mobile bookstore would have had all the bells and whistles. It would have been the biggest version that Furla puts out. It would have had, it literally had ones that had full like freezer compartments and all that. Like I would have gone, you know, to the wall with it. But then I realized, I was like, A, I don't even know if it was going to fund successfully. And B, this is a pretty unique concept. I don't know how much of my existing readership or base of support are going to go for this, right? I had tried several Kickstarters when it comes to anthologies and other things. They were used to that. You know, I would say, I want to put out an anthology. Here are the authors. Here's the budget. When I'm like, I want to start a mobile bookstore, that was a very different concept. So the main advice I would say do something related to your core readership. Maybe you really love pottery, but if you're like a sci-fi author, don't try to fund pottery off your first Kickstarter. You know, try to do something relevant. Have a small budget, right? Try to pay for a special cover, you know, something like that. And then it's really a lot of marketing. And that's the really difficult part. It's no different, in my opinion, than trying to sell books. You're trying to sell a concept to people and say, hey, not only do I not have this book ready, you have to believe in me that I'm going to have something ready after you spend the money. I can't say I'm a Kickstarter expert, but I've had several successful Kickstarters now. And every time I learn is that I take my idea, condense it, make it much smaller, and then have this beautiful thing called stretch goals where you're like, well, if you give me a little bit more, I can do X, Y, Z. But just try to fund that core concept first. I'm curious, especially with your mobile bookstore, how that resonated in the sense of like, how did you sell your readership on what is a unique idea? Like, I'm trying to think about like any sort of specific genre that would be like built for like where that makes sense. Like mobile bookstores are something that I think could be fun for almost anyone, but it's also difficult. So I'm just curious how you actually got that successfully funded. What do you think were the big reasons that made that work for you? I think one of the big reasons it was able to work for me specifically, is that I niched down. Like, I didn't say I wanted to start a general bookstore, like On Wheels. I said I was known at that time for putting out diverse fiction. I put out Dominion, which was an anthology. I was my co-editor, Ogunchokwe, which was African and Black speculative fiction. I had a few trans authors, had a few, you know, and I don't mean to say this in like a token way, but people had known me for putting out diverse work champion diverse work and so it wasn't a stretch for them when they were like i basically said i'm gonna sell the book stuff i already published which is diverse and then add a couple more books to it so it's a selection of stuff and so people they you know they were like oh, okay i can kind of get down with that and i had already been vending so i was able to show hey i've, I've done this concept you know i went bought a bunch of totes and yeah. sold books at a at a local thing and so they could get down with that idea i think it wouldn't have funded if I said, 
hey, I just want at that time, because I wasn't publishing as much, hey, I want to make a mobile romance bookstore. Like, I don't think they would have funded as well because they were like, you don't publish romance, you know, or they didn't read romance as much, et cetera. So I think it can work for anybody, but I would really say, and that's where that non-traditional bookseller group helped me a lot. It was like, it's just like a brick and mortar bookstore. Try the concept first. It sounds cute, you know, cycle around and sell books until you have to cycle around and sell books. (laughs) (laughs) So they were like, get out there, go to some local events, see what your community is like. You might not have a community that are big readers, right? I publish mostly adult work the stuff that sells consistently when I was selling back in Louisville was children's novels people wanted teen fiction they wanted children's comics they wanted that kind of stuff and so I had to start buying a lot more of that because they weren't as interested in the adult work you know I don't know what I currently live in the suburbs of Salt Lake City I'm not sure what people read out here maybe they're really into I don't know hiking books and other stuff because it's a real fit town i don't really know until i get out there so that's really one thing i would say too if you're interested in this concept don't just jump right in i know i'm the worst to say that because i jump with my ten toes down all the time (laughs) like i just try a concept but try it in a small way like get out there find a local event you know, get some books and see, you know, if that's something you really want to do. Cause it's not as glamorous as it seems. It, it seems very like cute cottage core, you know, <laughs> just cycle around and sell books until you get out there. You're like, man, it's hot outside and I have to pedal. If that's something you're into, try it. You know, you never know. I didn't think my community would be really interested in it. And I was featured in the local paper and all other sort of stuff. People were really down about the concept. It makes me think about all the ideas rare editions or you know we have even in the facebook group a group of authors who started the wheel of smut and i think that's like super fun and the readers seem to really like it and it's worked for a lot of the authors to participate in that collaboration so i think that's there's always something interesting that you could think to provide more value to your readers but of course we have to find those readers and that's difficult and i see you experimenting with maybe a new way to find readers. And I'm curious what your thoughts and what your adventure has been like so far in the world of V-streaming and V-streaming, V-tubing, they're words that we've maybe thrown around a bit in the podcast, but I'm not sure that we've actually ever really gone in depth. I'm going to do that <laughs> because I'm not an expert in this, but I first got acquainted with V-tubing around 2020. I am not a, a big person that's into Twitch or et cetera. Before then, I meant really into games for obvious reasons, but I was never, like, I never thought like I would sit down and play games for people. I'm not like a pro or anything. I just like my cozy, comfy games and my Sims and other stuff like that. And so I was really interested by this concept of VTubing because it was really started by Japanese entertainers and kind of really cutting edge technology. Nowadays, you can find a lot of these apps literally on your phone, but back then they had that whole productions of like you know pretty cutting edge software to turn a person into a virtual youtuber which is what vtuber stands for virtual youtuber and then over the years a lot of people migrated to twitch which is like well now it's kind of up for debate but twitch (laughs) at the time it was the premier streaming website for gamers and so a lot of people became the streamers virtual streamers that's not as popular people still will call themselves a vtuber and they never touch youtube I'm not the one that makes the rules. But anyway, what I found when I was looking at that is similar to when I was on Patreon. I saw all these writers coming on the Patreon and selling their work that way. I saw a lot of people attempting to do things that weren't gaming. They were doing things like the original 
I would say VTubers, they were being entertainers. And a lot of that was playing games, but they would do skits. They would do a bunch of different things. And so I was on some panel, I can't remember. And a writer said she played this game. I can't remember the name right now, but basically you have to keep typing or you die. So it was like a gamification of getting words into your manuscript and et cetera. And she was streaming it on Twitch. And I was like, who would sit down and watch a writer write? And I was surprised to see that people were interested in watching writers write. And so I was like, huh, that's a very interesting concept. Now, you might think it's strange because I'm on here right now. I hopefully sound pretty comfortable, but I'm not someone that thought that they could sit there in front of a camera and just sit here and go, yes, and today I'm going to write my manuscript. I just didn't think that was going to be pretty entertaining. <laughs> so I looked and I was like, what is some of the appeal of VTubing? And a lot of it's the overlay of anime and manga is the appeal of looking at cute characters, handsome characters, you know, doing cool things. And so I was like, okay, you know, let me see if I can get into this. Now I'm going to say, I don't want to take up the whole podcast explaining, but it is much more complicated than you will be led to believe watching one or two YouTube videos. The what they call rigging to turn your well hey yep. find someone that make your character <laughs> okay very difficult and very pricey depending on what you do then from there finding someone to make your character move very difficult and <laughs> very pricey and then from there uploading and learning all the software to then make your character move on screen PC very very difficult <laughs> so there's easier ways to get into it it's this thing called png tubing which if you've been on youtube in a, for a while you might remember like a lot of the animators they would have simple characters that will talk for them on youtube videos that's basically what it is so you have a simple character and their mouth might move but they won't do much else that's a simple way to do it but i decided to do the difficult way because like with everything else i want to <laughs> know all the steps the processes of how something works and so i had it launched yet but I have gone through the whole process of getting a model done and I have to say it is pretty darn cool to see yourself you know move and talk with this virtual character when I was younger I was like oh I've always loved to be in an anime or manga now you can become an anime character which is pretty amazing I will say so yeah so I'm, I'm testing it out and seeing if it will work I'm not sure if people would really love to watch me be a character and write and do other things but I think Amelia said that in the beginning is I think writers should always be looking at different industries looking at industries are about entertainment because that's what writing is at the end of the day you're writing to entertain to sell to get your passion out there and a lot of different industries have the same overlap so I don't know if this V writer, I don't know, uh, career thing will work out and people will be interested. But at the end of the day, you're always trying new things. The publishing world changes every single day. Things that were there when I started have disappeared in the year 2022. And we don't know what the future will bring. So I say try it out. You never know. I like really love the concept of VTubing. I like actually, I haven't done VTubing, but I've done where like I write a chapter and I have my community watch me write the chapter. And I was surprised too. There was a lot more people that wanted to watch me write the chapter than I thought there would be. And I'm just like sitting there like with the blankest face ever, just like typing. It's completely silent. And people are watching me. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, but also awkward. But yeah, rigging a character and making a character look good is very hard. Like my husband, when he's creating the, like when he started creating his video game, it took him weeks to make the character just like look good. And then to rig it to make like the animation look 
like it's real and it's not like just robotic it it's a lot of time and if you're going it, it's yeah a lot of time and a lot of money and so i'm always a big proponent of don't let the cost scare you there's always an alternative right when i started this i was like oh yeah, yeah definitely. i was like there's no way like i felt the cheapest i could find and i was still like this is a car note like this is not you know something you just get into but i found there's always a way to do it there's free yeah. models out there there's stuff you can do you can do what amelia did which is literally just right in front of people i don't know why that terrified yeah. me it really shouldn't but you can do the most free way which is turn on your camera and just start writing <laughs> vtubing i feel like a lot of people don't know about it but the vtubers that i've seen on like twitter and stuff they have huge followings like millions yes. of people follow them and it's just like this anime character or this 3D model and just people love it. It's like, it's definitely a niche audience, but as Michael said, a niche audience yeah. could be millions of people. That niche audience in particular, though, is quite massive because a lot of graphic novels are now set to be basically like a $10 billion industry in the United States in the next wow. five or six years. They're growing 300% between like now and then so it's a huge huge quickly growing industry that'll basically rival fiction print book industry and a lot of graphic novels are based off anime and are very much anime and manga driven so i think it's a niche that is massive and that a lot of people can participate in i also love the idea of just writing live i think about this particular youtuber that's quite famous called lo-fi girl lo-fi girl has like hundreds of millions of views people who watch their streams and they just play like lo-fi music and it's just an image it's just an image that's it there's no no real person there there's no vtubing involved and as an author like you know you could think about like just playing some chill music and who really does this now mostly who's like joining these sorts of things are students and there's this startup called studyverse.live and they are basically creating study rooms to help students chill with lo-fi music. You come together in these online communities. It's quite interesting. And I think this is something that with working from home becoming more and more common, we're going to continue to see more people doing this who aren't just like 18 years old or, you know, grinding for their next college essay. We're going to see, you know, people who are working in marketing for X company, people who are doing whatever their job is that are work from home. And I think authors, like, if you brand that community in a way that is created to your readership, there could be a demand to do things like that. Now, I definitely agree with you, Z, on the point that a, a lot of it is still yet to, to be seen, in a sense. But that's why we like to talk about this kind of stuff, because we do not want to sit here and talk about how you can make a million dollars a year on Kid Unlimited. There's a 100,000 other places you can go to see that. We want to talk about stuff that's at really the cutting edge of publishing and you're someone who's right there so i think it's super inspiring and i i do believe live streaming is going to be a bigger and bigger section of this creator economy and authors going to play a bigger role in it especially for lit rpg authors yeah. i think lit rpg is going to explode when people yeah. my age figure out that that genre exists and people my age don't even know it exists yet because they don't read, they play video games all the time. But like, that's exactly what happened to all the millennials mm -hmm. who are now reading Lit RPG. So if I'm a Lit RPG author, I would be really curious. About, like you were talking, streaming games on Twitch, there's already a huge market for that. And that could be an interesting path 
to go down. All just ideas. I haven't seen, frankly, too many people do this. To be honest, I actually found you by like trying to find authors who were doing anything in VTubing. And when I saw you had a profile and did VTubing, I'm like, oh, well, let's see what else he's doing. And then I'm like, oh my God, we could have to go talk to her. But there aren't that many authors who are doing VTubing right now. That's the thing too, is that one thing I've noticed over the years, because technology moves so fast. And I think a lot of people think of publishing as like this antiquated business, which in a lot of ways it is. <laughs> but in a lot of ways, it's always <laughs> at the cutting edge of a lot of things too. Just the rise of audiobooks in general, you know, doing audiobooks, even when I started doing audiobooks, people are like, who reads audiobooks other than the Bible on tape and people that were, you know, blind that couldn't read books. So they were doing it that way people were into podcasts but they were like audiobooks huh and then next thing i know libro fm audible everybody was like exploding and because people had more time they were like oh my god i love audiobooks i want all my video and i'm like we're not five years ago like where was this audience <laughs> a lot of the stuff that you do right now you might think uh you know it's not working out it's not successful but it will give you skills that will be so useful in the future and you won't even know about it. I don't know if writers being live streamers will take off, but the skills you'll learn of carrying an audience and talking and, you know, and making sure things or even just having chill music and making sure all the tech works, you don't know how that'll be useful. And Hey, maybe you start a podcast. Maybe you start something that requires you to edit, to work with sound, to do a bunch of stuff that you might learn from live streaming. And that's just a chill hobby for you. It's not like a business or a side gig so i always say you know try something i'll try something new you know it's so many things that i look that some of them failed but some of them became like you said they're on pace to become billion dollar industries you know and so get a part of that action sooner because then you won't be the person listening to people say this is how you become a millionaire because they've already become millionaires you don't want to be late to these waves try it out and if it doesn't work it doesn't work you know i feel like a lot of times people put a lot of pressure on themselves that as a creative you have to be successful quote unquote but if you did the thing you're successful if i can get my mind Model to move, I've been a successful e writer, and that's pretty much it. It's very hard to see the value in things when you're in the moment and nothing's happening. But like you were saying, five years from now, the world and the internet is just going to be so different, and how we publish is going to be so different, just like it was five years ago. And you can have skills that you've honed now that are really going to help you. But I have actually a question: when you're planning to do VTubing, are you doing it as an author or are you going to pretend like you're one yeah, of the so characters? My concept or a lot of times, because they take it a lot from Japanese idol culture. So they have debuts, they have concepts and stuff like that. And so my concept is basically I get sucked into one of my book rooms. And so I'm kind of like this magical character. Like I look normal and then I become this magical character <laughs> and I'm in this underwater mermaid world. Because I originally started because I was like, I really had this manuscript I've been wanting to write for so so long as black mermaids black mermaids are popping off the charts right now and I'm like uh every single time like I can never get something done when it gets popular and so I was like man <laughs> this would be a really fun way of basically me writing chapters and you know pretending to be this mermaid character and so that's going to be my concept you know I get sucked into my book world and I am forced by the will of the ocean gods that I have to finish this book or I can't escape and so that's going to be the concept when I 
quote unquote debut. I'm gonna watch one thousand percent. You send it to me when you're oh, when you're you. ready. Yeah, that's the one thing I really liked about VTubing. A lot of VTubers have this thing called lore, so they write these really elaborate backstories that if you were like me as a kid and you did a lot of role playing, mm-hmm. it's basically making backstories for your original characters, your OCs. And so I was like. I can just make myself a character like this is amazing and so that's why I really got into it so if you're nerdy like me you like that concept I would say go for it it's really fun and maybe I only get a couple chapters done but then you know I'm the author so I can just say I was released from my magical boat and that's why you know I didn't have to finish this book that I really want to finish but yeah you can make it your own it's your own world that you create and present to people and also as well with you being the character that these now fans get to be immersed in your world too. You're able to make it interactive in so many interesting ways. I actually think about, this is a very prominent example. I'm using this example just to show people how popular storytelling and world building can be in live streaming. And there's this collective of YouTubers and Twitch streamers called Dream SMP. Dream is one of the largest Minecraft YouTubers, and he's someone who's never showed his face on camera. You might be able to find some niche pictures of him online, but he does not show his face. He's just, he just plays Minecraft. He's basically Steve, the main character in Minecraft, and whatever skin he chooses to use. And he's created a world collaborating with other creators to build this fictional universe inside of the game of Minecraft, which for those who don't know what Minecraft is, it's a game where you like build basically Legos, but in a video game. That's the easiest way I can describe it. And they basically create like real immersive stories where they're running around as characters as if you're watching a movie inside of this video game. And they get about 2 million people watching live every time they do it, which is more than almost any show, any show ever. They get 2 million playbacks. It's insane. And they're watching like hours long streams. So that's like a huge TV show. And I, I can even see there being an opportunity for authors to take their intellectual property, collaborate with creators who already have followings and work to build these worlds and reach their audiences in different ways. So I think, you know, to be honest, like there's so many different things to do in the creator economy. Like I think 1% of you might actually become a VTuber and that's okay. Like that's totally cool. I, if I can help 1% of people listening, like I think that's amazing. But I actually think what Z's talking about is so applicable because there's insights here that you can take whether you try it or not, because there's something here that all authors can benefit from. That's amazing. I'm excited. I'm excited. Another thing I want to mention too, because it's just on my mind is this company called beak.io and they're trying to build audible for Latin America. I know the founder from a friend and they have, they're, they're a very serious operation. And that shows me too, that when talking about like where technology's at, you know, we're talking about these really far off things, but there's still so much growth in the existing markets. Like audiobooks still are not nearly global yet. Ebooks are still not nearly global yet. And I think in time it will be, especially in a market like Latin America. I think there's a lot of precedent for that becoming a very vibrant publishing market digitally, especially with ebooks and audiobooks. So, you know, when you view the world as Jeff Bezos' hands above it all, I think you miss the entire world that he fails to mm-hmm. grip. And I- That's a great, great point. It's always, though, like, I always see it more from the traditional indie side, but you make a great point of 
markets that are untapped for us, right? Or markets that don't have a lot of penetration. Audiobooks keep doubling and tripling every year, not because, you know, there's suddenly this explosive growth. People keep learning about audiobooks. They're like, wait, you know, I can listen to a book, you know? And so that's why every year you see double digit, you know, growth in the audiobook industry. So there's still people that have not listened to an audiobook once <laughs> in their lifetime, which sounds strange even now, but it's, it's very true. And so I think, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see people branch out more and more. <laughs> you know, I'm excited to see what people do. It's so many projects out there that, you know, like Libro FM, for example, that when it first launched, I was like, can this work? Can it really be something that can maybe not rival Audible, but be a viable business? And here we are, 2022, and it's supporting authors and bookstores and everything else. So I'm just really excited. Over, I don't know how many of you were try VTuber or all the other <laughs> wild stuff that I try to reach new audiences, but I will say, listen to podcasts like this. You are at the cutting edge of publishing. Publishing is not just putting books out and waiting for sales or marketing or that publishing can be so, so, so much more. And your IP or intellectual property, we are living in the era where people want to see books become comics, movies, musical productions. They want to see it all. So if you have different skill sets, apply that to your work. Yes. That, that is a really, really great note. And I think it also lends me to wondering with a very specific skill set that we also like to focus on, which is subscriptions, building a fandom, more of these like broadly applicable concepts, because with subscriptions, you can kind of build a community doing anything that we're talking about. You can provide those things to your readers. So I'm curious in your world of subscriptions, which I'll leave Zenite subscription link down below for people who want to check it out. I think it's really great to see fellow authors and what they're doing and what's working for them in subscriptions. And I'm really curious for you, as you're launching, what are what are you looking to and what yeah, is your strategy? So when it comes to an author, when it comes to use of subscriptions, the two strategies I'm going to try to use is early access and also the serialized fiction aspect. I think that's what people are really, really into right now. They love new content too, so like exclusive content. But with everything I have going on, I can't really promise I'll have a shorter month or things like that. I would under-promise and over-deliver than the opposite because, you know, I'm restarting a whole new thing you know my audience that I have built up are not used to me even really writing serialized fiction let alone saying hey pay a little bit a month to see my stuff so the first aspect I started and I actually got a few but I'm going to you know restart and really hone in on this in October is I basically my strategy is taking um two of my most popular concepts which is alien romance and interracial romance or and basically say hey I'm going to start a serial you know if you want to read this you read it here you read it early you'll get a download link etc and all these other goodies i have planned and i'm also going to start one that's on my newsletter so they get a taste of it so they're like hey if you like this concept if you want this book early go to my patreon at the same time i'm also restarting youtube too because the one great thing about youtube is that it's long form content so people feel like they get to know you better and they feel like they know you right because they watch hours and hours of your content and so while i bulked a couple of videos i bulked about like five videos i'm going to start releasing and you know my little plug is always going to be if you want to support the channel if you want to support this and get videos early etc come to my patreon <laughs> you know if you want a certain me to cover a certain topic then you know, come to my Patreon, you can vote on my poll. So basically I'm trying to funnel my newsletter subscribers that are more 
diehard fans, people that are willing to hear me ramble <laughs> every other month, and then also trying to funnel with long form content, giving them some free stuff like free audiobooks and stuff like that. But saying, hey, if you really like what I do and you want to promote diverse fiction, you know, back my Patreon. So again, I don't know how successful this will be. You know, hopefully in the Facebook group, if you come and join in a couple months, I can say I'm doing awesome on Patreon. I've applied all the tips I've learned, you know, and hopefully it works out really well. But that's where I'm going for it. And, you know, I'm going to just keep absorbing knowledge from the Facebook group because every time someone posts something, I'm like, man, I never even thought about that. I never thought this could be something I could do. So here's the hoping and hopefully subscription is a viable service for me because subscriptions allow me to do what I love to do, which is right. Cause I know I have reliable income versus spending a lot of time writing a book and marketing it and really hoping I make back, you know, everything I dumped into that production. You know, I think that's a wonderful strategy. I want to like highlight another thing going on in the creator world of business to also like give people perspective on why this recurring revenue is becoming more important and something that more creators, people who aren't even authors are looking to do. And what I've seen paying attention to the brand to creator advertising space, which that's basically when a creator will have their Instagram post sponsored or a YouTube video and they'll shout out a product. And it's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry in the United States. It's huge. And it used to be the kind of thing where a brand would work with the creator once and would pay a lump sum to be in a single post, but now creators and brands are both more interested instead of one-offs actually developing long-term partnerships. And the creators are offering the brands discounts on their normal cost per mill rates, which I'm sure we're all, if you've ever done Facebook ads, very familiar paying CPMs to Facebook. Obviously in this situation, if a creator has an audience, they would get paid a CPM by a brand and creators are giving them discounts just in order to have that sort of like stable income. And I've seen this with some of my friends who literally aren't setting up anything of subscriptions. They'll go from making like five figures one month, which is obviously amazing, amazing salary to then nothing. Like when I say nothing, literally $0 the next month. And it is so up and down. And I think that this is why across the board, more and more people are searching for a new business model. And, and this may be one that works for people, but I, I want to end off on this question because I think you're thinking about subscriptions in a really good way. You know, people who are already familiar with work, who already like you, this is how I'm going to brand it. This is how you can come here and explore more of it. But when thinking about like who would want early access to your stories, that's someone who has already found presumably your stories before they probably read a bit of you. They probably like you. So how are you just discovering readers to begin with, because that is ultimately, I think the biggest thing we're all interested in. If we had a million readers, it would probably solve most of our problems, no matter how we monetized it. Really good question. And so I would say the three ways I have been finding readers and readers that are willing to go the extra mile. So, you know, leave a review or, you know, do the other things that, you know, you would just hope if only a hundred readers did, you know, it would be amazing. But the ways I've found that really been helpful, especially in the romance genre is joining collaboration. So you spoke, spoke about that dream collaboration. That was really interesting because how I, I like currently... I'm finding a lot of readers through this collaboration called Single Dads with Gator Beach. And basically a bunch of authors came together and wrote it's gay single dad romance, which is a very, you know, <laughs> kind of like niche trope, but it has a big audience. And so what I found is that people that read one book in a the series, they're automatically going and buying at full price, which is, you know, 
woo, for me, author like me, they're going automatically pre-ordering at full price the other books in the series. And so I'm finding a lot of readers that way through collaboration saying, hey, let's all come together. We all want to write Black sports romance and we want to pool our readers and your readers become my readers, et cetera, et cetera. You get introduced. The second way I've been finding a lot of readers is through anthology projects, which I will warn can be kind of messy. <laughs> There's a lot going on right now about that. But it's been a great way because you can write shorter work. You know, you're not ha putting out a novel and trying to find an audience for a novel. You say, hey, a lot of people love shifter romance and I'm going to put a short or one of my older works in there. And then they say, oh, that's pretty interesting. I'll join your newsletter. I'll, you know, buy this. I'll do that. And so I'm finding readers that way. And then the third way is, you know, debug standard way. I'm putting out books in hot tropes. You know, I'm saying, hey, you know, a lot of people are into monster romance. I'm going to put out a monster romance. And those readers are like, I want more monster romance, right? And so I'm hoping to then funnel them. <laughs> hey, come to my Patreon. I'll have more content for you, et cetera, et cetera. So I really, it's getting out there, but the two ways I found that most successful in less work and anxiety of really just putting out something and really hoping it succeeds through marketing and other efforts is anthologies and collaborations. And that could be a little scary, but much like your Facebook group subscription for authors, join a Goodreads group, Facebook groups. There's always people that are interested in like, hey, we have similar ideas and let's put out something together. It's a lot less scary when you work together on a project. Amelia, you engage even in a lot of collaborations still at your level, right? Where you work with other authors to to do things, you still find benefits in collaborations? Yes, I do. I try to be a part of them, but it's really, it's sometimes it's really hard because there are, uh, first of all, there's like so many different anthologies that you could be part of and collaborations. And then sometimes I'm a very, when I write, I'm a very mood writer usually. And so sometimes I'll like sign up for like an anthology and then the anthology, I'll have to start writing it. I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I'm really feeling this right now, but yeah, so there are, when I was running, I think I, I ran a shared world a, like a year ago and it was, it was very successful, at least in my opinion. And a lot of the authors benefited from that shared world and they got more readers, which is really cool. So that's amazing. I think these are all really fascinating ideas. And I mean, I, I literally think we could sit here and talk easily for another hour with you, Z, like easily. But I just want to let everyone know that if you love this podcast, let us know and we can always bring Z back. We'd be super curious too, especially a couple months from now, a year from now, as your journey progresses, because I have no doubt you're going to continue learning so many incredible things. And yeah, just thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Michael and Amelia, for having me on. And that's it for this episode. I hope you all had a great time listening. We have so many exciting episodes coming up that if you're not already like subscribed to this podcast or have it saved RSS feed via the listening weekly, you should do so. We have some incredible episodes coming up with also some like insider industry data being dropped that is kind of mind-blowing. It's related to direct selling. So I'm just going to throw that as like a little cliffhanger for y'all. But also as another cliffhanger, we talked a lot about subscriptions today, as we do on every podcast here. But a lot of times the platforms that we use aren't really made for fiction. I think we've all dealt with this problem if you have the subscription here. There aren't really e-readers in these platforms that you can use for subscriptions. It takes forever to schedule chapters because it's built for either video creators, artists, or writers who aren't writing and serializing actual fiction books. Therefore, you can spend hours just trying to schedule stuff and you feel so tired and drained by the end of it all that you're wondering, 
why don't I just publish my books on Amazon and get paid half a penny for each page read? Like that sounds better. So we wanted to make a platform that actually is truly for subscriptions for authors. And that place is Ream. It's not out yet, but we're launching soon. In fact, like as we're speaking, we're working to like bring on more help so that we can bring it out faster and get ready to bring an awesome experience to all of y'all. It's by authors for authors, inspired by Amelia Rose in three years of her making sick figures and subscriptions, but dealing with all the problems of these various platforms. So we want to solve them all for you and create a home just for readers. So that's Reem. Check it out in the link description. Otherwise, I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day and happy writing.